Well, there's something about that that Lord taught me really early in my life is that, and I learned it, I saw it in the life of Moses. You know, the Lord has his calling, but he has his timing and he has his way. And I think sometimes we feel a calling from the Lord and we want, we will do whatever we have to do to make it the way it looks like in our heads. Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Mission Extra this week. Uh, just a special one where we, you know, take some time to, uh, you know, when our missionaries that we support as a church come through town, we'd love to sit down with them and talk to them and introduce them to you. Uh, and I have with me today Nate Metlong and uh, his wife, Deanna, who can't be with us. She's on her way to Sacramento right now. And uh, they would have been with us on Sunday, but their flight was canceled. So we missed having them here at church and sharing with us. But hopefully through this interview and through this time, this discussion, uh, we're just going to get to know them and what they're doing. They are missionaries in Kharkiv, Ukraine, which is kind of on the eastern border of Ukraine. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And you guys will get a little bit more acquainted with where they are. But just so you know, if you missed our sermon on Sunday, you know, we're in our vision series at church and uh, you can get over to whitefieldschurch.com. You can also uh, find out some of the other mission extras we've done. We've done a couple other hung- uh, uh, Ukrainian missionaries, Ben Morrison and John Markey as well. And you can, uh, you'll be able to check those out on whitefieldschurch.com or you can go over to any of your favorite streaming platforms, podcast platforms. You'll find them there. We're on YouTube and Facebook and make sure you like and subscribe if you can. Uh, it just helps, you know, boost us in the, in the algorithm. And when people, you know, people asking questions about missionaries in Ukraine, you know, we're going to pop up in their Google search and we're going to be able to provide them with Christ-centered, gospel-centered content. So if you would do that, it would be great. If this blesses you, uh, share it with a friend and uh, that would be amazing. So but here I am with Nate. Nate Medlong, uh, out in Kharkiv, Ukraine. And so let's just start out with who you are, where you came from. You're obviously not Ukrainian. Your wife is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And we'll talk, you introduce us to her as well. But kind of just give us a, a backstory of kind of like, how did you end up? You've been there how long now? I've been there 16 years. 16 years. So how, you know, take us back to before year 16, of, year one of 16 began. Um. <laughs> I originally went to a Bible college, Calvary Chapel Bible College in Indianapolis in 2001 through 2003. And when I got to the Bible college, they, the Bible college had this policy at the end of every year, they would take a missions trip to out of country, but their main focus was to go to cities where missionaries sent out of their church had planted churches to help and support them. And the first year I was, I was in Bible college, we decided to go to, uh, a city called Dnipropetrovsk in kind of central east Ukraine because there was a, a missionary out of the church that had been there about a year and a half had planted a church so we went there to support them. Uh, in Bible college there were a lot of people uh, that were like super excited about Ukraine because they'd gone the year before. Uh, one of my brothers was a year ahead of me in the school. It was a two-year school. And he was so excited about Ukraine and it's, I'm just the kind of person that maybe it's because I dealt with peer pressure as a kid. I just didn't want to go to Ukraine because it's like what everybody wants to do, I don't want to do, you know, and I really didn't want to go. And um, when we got there, but we went and fine, we got there. It was really amazing. People, this was in 2001, uh, 2002, and this was a time where 
You could hand somebody a track on the streets and they would take that paper and they would read it all the way through. They would ask questions and people were really open to the gospel. And we, it's definitely a lot different now, but we would see every night just doing one-on-one evangelization with translators or some with people that spoke English. We saw like 120 people come to the name of the Lord in individual conversations. And in the first couple of weeks or the first week I would go and I would try to talk to people, but just nothing would get anywhere. And I remember there was this moment where I just said like, Lord, like, unless you show me your heart for these people, I'm not, I, I, I don't want to share anymore. I don't want to talk. I don't want to, I don't want to do this because it's my duty. I, I, I want to actually have your heart and I want to be effective. And, and it was May 1st, the next, the next day was May 1st, which in former Soviet countries, May 1st is a huge holiday. It was a big holiday in the Soviet Union. It's what, like their Labor Day or something like that, I think. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And there was just no joke, tens of thousands of people in this park we went to, like tens of thousands of people. And I, we were coming to the park and we we're walking down this hill and I just saw these people. It was just, there was just, there was no, nothing but people. There was no like concrete you could see. It was just people. And the Lord just reminded me of this passage said, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. And the Lord just spoke to me and showed me his heart for the country and for the people. And it just, I just started weeping and crying. You know I mean? Guys, we're not supposed to admit we cry, but whatever we do. And, um, it just messed me up <laughs> like in a good way. And, you know, I remember I went down, I started sharing with people, somebody came to know the Lord. And ever since that moment, it was in my heart. And, um, and this is interesting, like, I was, the kind of story goes back before that. Like, mm-hmm. when I was about six years old, it was like, I'm 43, so that was probably 1984, 85, something like that. I was six or seven, and I was homeschooled. I just started homeschooling, and we, I was reading about the Soviet Union. This was still, it was right around the same year Chernobyl happened. And I heard about this country where kids like me weren't free to go to church and read Bible and like learn about Jesus. And I was like, what? I love church. I love the Bible. I love Jesus. What are you talking about? And so I started to pray. And I, I, you know, as a naive six or seven year old, I started to pray that the government would change. I don't know why I thought that. I just like, well, that's something needs to change. So kids like me can know about Jesus, you know, pray and pray and pray. And then you're like, oh, whatever. What? I'm a kid. What does it matter what I pray? You know? And I remember it was like, 1989, a few years later, I remember I was watching this cartoon, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Alvin and the Chipmunks, yeah. Great show. <laughs> Great show. Um, and they were in the, in the show, their band was going to perform on the Berlin Wall, right? And he had this dream in the plane that, like, they did this concert and they sang this song, and the song was so powerful that the wall fell down or something. I don't remember. And I remember, I remember watching that, and the Lord reminded me, he's like, this can be a reality. Like the government can change. And so I kept praying. And I remember it was 1990 when you started to see first the Berlin Wall came down and then you started seeing all the Lenin statues. You probably remember that coming yeah, down. of course, yeah. And I just remember the Lord spoke to me. I was probably like 12. And the Lord spoke to me and he says like, see, I answer prayer. Like, and it really humbled me. And I know I'm not, I wasn't the only person praying, but I was part of it. Like the Lord showed me his heart for a country or several countries actually. And I was a lot, I was privileged to be a part of that. You know, that's the great thing for me. The Lord showed me over and over again in my life is that prayer often is an invitation for us to be part of the work of God. Like, yeah, he can do it without us, but what so much better is to be part of that work. 
and you know, years went on. I heard about you know Russia, whatever. So you didn't. I remember 1994 Winter Olympics. There was this big scandal. Oksana by uh, no, Oksana by was the Ukrainian. There was like Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding. You remember that whole yeah, thing, yeah. the controversy, and all the focus was on them. And there was this little orphan girl, Ukrainian girl. I was like, what is Ukraine? I'm like, what's well, part of the former Soviet Union? And I thought, and Ukraine flag is just real simple. It's just yellow. It's just yellow and blue. You know, it's the idea of the, the golden fields and the blue. And I was like, what is that? That's not a flag. It has to have stars and all, you know, so American-centric. And I was like, Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. I was like, okay. And I would hear later on stories about missions going to Russia, and I just never really felt an interest. But I think it was about 2000, there's a guy named George Markey. He was at my church, and he started talking about the work of God in Ukraine and how God was doing his work, and there's a need. And I started thinking, like, well, that's interesting, but I'm not really called to be a missionary, you know. And then— Fast forward to Bible college. I didn't even want to go to Ukraine. I forgot about all that. I ended up there. God gave me a heart for Ukraine. I came back, had another year of Bible college, and then I went back and led another team to Kharkiv, the city that I'm in now. And uh, while I was there, the Lord gave me a bigger heart for Ukraine, but helped me see more practically the needs of missionaries, the needs of the local churches. But I just felt the Lord closed the door for me to go. And I thought, well, maybe I'm never going to go. So I went back to my church and I got involved with like being a missions coordinator, like being the bridge between the church and missionaries. And I took teams over and I took a team over and the Lord eventually said, okay, you can go to Ukraine. And so, uh, I actually thought I was going to go to Crimea and I came to Ukraine with a friend of mine and we thought we we're going to start something new in Crimea because there was already a church in Kharkiv. And um, the moment we arrived in Crimea, our bus literally stopped and we got a call from the, the church planner that started the church in Kharkiv and asked me and my, my friend that I came with to start a new church to move to Kharkiv. And we moved there because I, I wasn't going to stay in Crimea by myself and I've been there ever since. Um, but the Lord just showed me his heart over and over again. And a few years later, for years and years, we had these London statues still up in the square, these huge London statues. And I remember I was being, I couldn't stop staring at them. And I was like, at first I was shocked they still existed. I thought all of them were knocked down. And then I was there for about two years and I was doing like ministry in an orphanage. And I'm walking, I'm staring at this London statue. And the Lord reminded me, of when I was six or seven years old and I used to pray for the government change so that kids like me could hear about Jesus. And here I was years and years later in one of those former Soviet countries sharing with kids about Jesus. And I just, it just humbled me, it blew me away that like God started that work years ago in my heart and I had no idea. And I didn't even see, I didn't even see how God brought it all together until I was already there a few years. And I always tell people, be careful what you pray for, because God might use you as an answer to the prayer. And the other thing I've always shared with kids is like, God is interested in your prayers and God wants to use you. It doesn't matter how old you are. And so that's really kind of what, what got me to Ukraine. And, um, you know, I'm, a couple years later, I met my wife there. We were involved in orphanage ministry for a long time. And we met a lot of really great kids and we decided to bring some of them into our family and we had a couple biological kids too. We'll talk a little bit about yeah. that, uh, of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, that was a whole big story. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your, your family and just, you know, what your family looks like now as well. Yeah. Um, introduce us to them. <laughs> yeah. So well, I have a wife, just one. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and, um, my wife's name is Diana, and 
she grew up in a Christian family in the Soviet Union, a Baptist Christian family. Her dad was a pastor. And, you know, they, her and her extended relatives were Christians. They dealt with a lot of difficulties during the Soviet Union. Like her dad as a pastor would get called into the KGB all the time and questioned and things like that. And, but the Lord just really used them. And when I met her, I kept thinking, I'm never going to marry anybody here. It's hard enough to understand women. When you add a cultural difference, it'd be even harder. But then we realized as we got to know each other, like our home, our family cultures were so similar because we were raised, you know, with a love for the Lord and Jesus was always first. And so, you know, we, we got married in 2008 and um, we were working in this orphanage and we would try to teach them English. Basically, I learned more Russian. They didn't learn any English, but... Um, I, we would minister a lot of these older kids and the Lord started to show us the needs for these older kids when they would age out of the orphanage after ninth grade, they would, they'd be out of the orphanage, they'd be put in a trade school maybe, but a lot of the kids we tried to minister to after, they would just get lost. They would just get lost. Most of the girls would end up getting pregnant. Sometimes they'd be married, most of the time not. And just their lives would just go sideways and we'd lose connection with them. They just, and we just kept praying and the Lord started to open our hearts to the idea of taking some kids to become part of our family. At first we thought maybe just for their college years, but Lord changed it in there. Lord showed us there was a situation with two girls or sisters were 15 and 11, and there was an opportunity to foster them. Everybody told us it wasn't going to be possible because I was an American, even though I basically have a Ukrainian green card, so to speak. And we just took the step of faith and we, 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 we eventually got custody of them. And then we finally, after six years of trying, we, we had a baby boy. And then the next summer and fall, we started a program to build a house so that we could take more kids. And uh, the next summer, the house was only started and funds stopped. And that's when the, the war in Eastern Ukraine had started. And we took another girl to live with us, a girl that I'd known since the first day we had been serving in the orphanages. And that was Natasha. And she's been with us for seven years now. She's 27 now. Oh, we've, I guess she's been with us eight years. And um, we had another baby girl, uh, Cassie. And then um, five years ago, we adopted another girl who was 11 at the time, uh, Veronica. And so we have six kids, five girls, one boy. Uh, two of the four foster or adopted kids still live with us. Two are adults and they just live in their own life right now. But yeah, that's what our our family looks like. It's... It's definitely all mix of ages and backgrounds, but um, it's fun. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a, a vital ministry. I know very similar. We worked with an orphanage uh, when I lived in Hungary, and that's basically, yeah, the state kind of takes care of these kids till they get to be about 18, and then they're like, bye, you know? And mm -hmm. a lot of the, I mean, I know if my experience, a lot of the girls just kind of either ended up getting kidna kidnapped being on the streets as prostitutes mm -hmm. or caught up in some whatever drug business or something like mm -hmm. that. They really did not prepare them as, I mean, I think they tried. I mean, the people there, yeah. just the tools and, uh, you know, there's, I think there's such a gap right there for, to mm -hmm. take these kids like and when they get to be 18 and then, you know, that those next years and try and get them kind of grounded and, and, and you well, know. Yeah. That's one of the things we tried to do for a long time. We worked with a bigger 
interchurch organization. And one of the things we would do, we try to minister to these kids when they would age out. We had, there's this program. It's an international program called Alpha Course. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's just mm-hmm. basics of Christianity. Yeah, yeah. We would try to get them involved in it. We try to create, I tried to like invite dudes over, like teach them how to cook and teach them how to do things just to build uh, bridges and, um, yeah, in Ukraine, it's when you graduate ninth. You either graduate ninth grade or eleventh grade. If you graduate ninth grade, you go to tech trade school or like junior college. But um, so most of those orphanages after ninth grade. So you have kids that are literally fourteen, fifteen years old. They're maybe put in some dorm somewhere. They get a little bit amount of money a month, and sometimes a lot. And they have no idea what to do and how to live it. And I've talked my daughters that I talked to. A lot of their friends that they grew up with. A ton of them have kids. Some of them aren't alive anymore. Some of them are in prison. Some of them are in prostitution. And, um, you know, and it's, it's just hard because they just don't know. They're mm-hmm. in some, some of their kids are already in orphanages. It's like the cycle's continuing. And that's really what got us is we like, we have to do more to break the cycle. And the Lord's like, well, these people need parents, you know. And that's, it's not easy. No. I mean, but like for me, we see how Christ, you know, Christ died for us in order to buy us and God adopted us as children. And I'm not God, so I'm not their savior. And I think that sometimes we, I think sometimes well-intentioned people can look at adoption as like the salvation thing. And it's not really that because really we're still not Jesus and we're still not their savior. God will use us and use this adoption, hopefully, as a picture of what God wants to do in their lives. But um, I'll tell you the one thing that I've learned more than anything is, you know, it has been easy. Some of my kids are making decisions that are um, harmful. Some have gone through waves of that and are doing okay now. But you, as a, for me, I think I understand the heart of God a lot more as father than I've ever understood. Because you just watch your kid hurting themselves and trying to hide it and you see it all and the and you just you're frustrated but you're frustrated because they're hurting themselves you're not mad at them and the lord just showed me so much about his love for me through how i feel about my kids right yeah what was the average age of the kids that you adopted when you first got them uh two of the kids were 11 okay um not we didn't adopt them at the same time um one girl was 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. That was, she's one the first one we ever had. We've, well, I guess it's been almost nine years. And uh, one was actually 19. Wow. But mm-hmm. she had a very difficult life and before that. And so she didn't even finish ninth grade until she was 19. She's a really awesome, wonderful young woman. She still lives with us. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, nobody thought she had a future, but like the Lord really has given her a chance and she's working her master's and in wow. a university. She does a good job. And so like we see how God has really given her like a chance. And I think the biggest thing for us is these kids, a lot of times you don't realize how much we need somebody just to support that. Uh, so somebody to be a coach, you know, somebody like, Hey, don't give up. You can do this. And, um, and I think that's the biggest thing is like, these kids need somebody to believe in them, you know? Yeah. Wow. We, we all need it, I guess. Yeah. Well, no, that's, that's, I think that's just an amazing ministry that, that, you know, God has put you there. And I just think back just to the, the question before me, you're kind of giving your testimony of the fact that, you know, you knew in your heart and mind that God 
was going to get you involved in missions or something, but you just like the door was closed. And, and, uh, we just looked at that this, this past Sunday, we just Paul at Ephesus and how, you know, mm -hmm. it says, the, you know, it says the door is closed to me. And, but yet you still, what I liked about your story is like, well, then I went back to my church and I got involved in, mm -hmm. in the mission to be a missions coordinator, mm -hmm. you know? And I just think that's just a great lesson for, for any of us that, you know, maybe if God's working on our hearts or working on whoever might be listening to this, like you, you know, that God's calling you to something. Well then find a way to get involved. You know, sometimes it's, it's not like it's going to be dropped in your lap. Just find a way to get involved yeah. and then see where the Lord takes you, you know? Well, there's something about that, that Lord taught me really early in my life is that, and I learned it, I saw it in the life of Moses. You know, the Lord has his calling, but he has his timing and he has mm -hmm. his way. And I think sometimes we feel a calling from the Lord and we want, we will do whatever we have to do to make it the way it looks like in our head. Right. And there's many things that happened in my life that broke me of that, where those, like that, the idea of having a vision or calling to Ukraine, but then having to let that die. And what it was, it was dying to the, the need to figure out how to make it happen. And I, I think the thing that I always tell people that feel a calling is, you know, we're supposed to be faithful. If God's given you a calling, you should, you know, work towards that calling, get it if you can. But at the same time, like that story and where when Paul's trying to go and doors were closed, like don't get a crowbar and break the door down. Like mm. God will open it because Paul eventually got there. Right. Yeah. And um, the thing the Lord taught me through all of that time, because it was very hard. I remember I graduated from Bible college. Everything was over. And I was thinking once Bible college is done, you know, I had moved away from my home to another state to go to Bible college what do I do now? You know? And, uh, I went through this crisis of like a month of like freaking out. And through that, I said, Lord, okay, I'm going to let that die. I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about whether I ever moved to Ukraine or not. Maybe I didn't understand you correctly, you know, but how do you want to use me to meet these people? Cause I still care about those people and just trust God that he knows what you, what you need to prepare you for, for that. You know? And I think about, all these different things or things didn't work out right away. It even prepared me for a life with my kids. Cause with kids, you know, especially kids that have been through traumas, it's like two steps forward, three steps back sometimes. And, you know, you can trust the Lord that his timing is perfect. And you, yeah, you just take the opportunities that are there and you just be faithful and don't try to make something happen in your strength that God's not allowing you to do that moment. Just cause it's not happening today. doesn't mean, it's not going to happen in right. three weeks when yeah. that's when he wants it to happen. Yeah. And so, yeah. So now you've been there 16 years. So what is, what are some of the, you know, can you think of some of the, maybe the highlights or how do you think the, the church has really changed since the fall of communism in 1990? Oh. And now we're here in, in 2022. Uh, how do you think that, you know, that the gospel has changed the country and had an effect on the Christian church and, and those kind of things in, in your, your, the 16 years you've been there? Well, I came, I moved there in 2005, and it was a few years after they came out, the really difficult 90s years. That was a really tough, very poor time. Things were getting better. I mean, we've gone through some difficult things, but I think the biggest thing I've seen change in those years is you have a completely different generation. Mm. When I first came there, you'd stand on the subway platform. There'd be like 300 people. You could hear a pen drop, right? pin drop, I guess they say mm -hmm. in English, you know, because there was still this old Soviet mentality. You never know who's listening. You don't know. And there's this fear and this darkness. And now it's like my kid's generation. The new youth generation was not even alive within 10 years of the Soviet Union. 
And so there's just a completely different, more free mentality. Uh, younger generations are a lot more open uh, to new things. And um, not necessarily the gospel always, but you, it's, just, it's just a completely different thing. It's just not as simplistic as it used to be. You have to use more wisdom because people with the internet and social media, like the younger generation, they're more exposed and open to a lot of different philosophical ideas. So um, like before what worked, street evangelism, it, maybe it still works. We've done it. We don't see the, f I don't remember the last time we saw somebody receive the Lord on the street. But now it's more about building relationships, getting engaged with them. A lot of student movements we support do a lot of apologetics mm -hmm. in universities. And as you build relationships with people, you're listening to them, you're willing to answer the hard questions. People are more open. People are getting saved. Mm -hmm. It's just not as instant, as fast yeah. as it was before. Yeah, like when we talk with John, John Markey in Ternopil, he, you know, he just goes to the coffee shop and he sits there, you know, day after day it just has conversations with people and asks their answers their questions about the Bible and it's been yeah, that's what it's I been really fruitful for him as well. Yeah, he's a really he's one of my best friends. We live in opposite ends of the country. So there's a lot of differences, but the coffee house culture is pretty similar. Yeah. Well that's a, that was gonna be my next question because when Nick and I come to visit many times, uh, you know, we usually have a conference there in Kiev and then I head west to 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 meet with John in Ternopil and Nick heads east out to Kharkiv and these two cities are very far apart and you know they're they're also socially and culturally different so I just wanted to talk about that a little bit as well I yeah. mean Ukraine as a whole people kind of think you know it's just one like hom homogenous group of people but it's very different yeah I mean that's a city of two two hundred thousand we're a city of two million uh, the, I'd say his Part of that part of the Western Ukrainian culture is more polite, more religious, actually, in some ways. But they have Orthodox, they have a lot of like the uh, what do they call it? The Greek Catholic, I think it is, mm -hmm. the Ukrainian Catholic. And there's even in the churches, it's a more religious, more polite culture, but there's still a lot of philosophy. In Kharkiv, there's I can't, I've heard different things. There's several hundred thousand college, university and college students, wow. some from all over the world. But there's a lot of, you have a lot of young people, but then you have, a, because it's more Eastern, there's more mentalities that's more old Slavic, sometimes a little bit more harder. It's kind of reminds me of more of an urban mentality, you know, like Chicago or something like that. Um, it's just a bit different. And now with the youth culture, with just with the whole social media, international culture, it's kind of changing when it's getting to younger people. Mm -hmm. I think you're getting more similarities. Having, I'm having more similar conversations with you know, college students at coffee shops that I would have maybe here in America. Mm -hmm. um, but it is it is different. I think uh, there's people are less religious, I'd say. Yeah. What about language? Are they speaking more Russian in Kharkiv? Yeah, in Kharkiv, they speak primarily Russian. Uh, it's changing. You know, all the official things are in Ukrainian. But, you know, people would always make this, and you hear it on Fox News or whatever these programs, like, well, you know, you, Kharkiv is going to become Russia if Russia takes over or whatever. And I think we've learned in the last... Eight years of conflict or yeah, it's almost eight years of conflict now. I think next month, eight years of conflict with Russia and the East that Kharkiv doesn't want to be Russia. We like to speak Russian. We just like to say we're kind of like America. We kicked our overlords out. We kept their language. We made it better. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like America. Like, we kept English. We still, yeah. still speak English, but we made it better. We got rid of all those extra vowels that you don't need. Right, right, you know, right. Favorite right. and 
Yeah, I still color. can't tell the difference between Russian and Ukrainian. It all sounds the same to me, but they're uh, close. It's all Chinese. <laughs> yeah, I I speak Russian because uh, I grew up there. I I I can kind of understand Ukrainian, but I like it's like I'm a dog. I can understand, but I can't really answer. Right, very well. right, yeah, yeah. But how far is Kharkiv from the Russian border? Uh, my house is about 26 miles from the Russian 20s, border. 20s, wow. Okay. Yeah, so it gets a little scary when there's yeah thousands of thousands of troops over there, but uh, we're kind of getting used to yeah, that. So, well, so what's the truth here? Because, uh, of course, there's a lot of, you know, uh, news over here about mm. what's actually happening. And, and nowadays it's very difficult to know what is actually true on the news and what is not. So since you live 26 miles from the Russian border, tell us. <laughs> well, all I can say is... For me, you know, with the current situation that's going on, you're seeing in the news, I keep praying and asking the Lord what to do. And in 2014, when the government changed and Russia invaded Crimea and took it over and they invaded the East, the same days that they invaded Lugansk and Donetsk, well, under protesters, they're protesters that came from Russia, uh, they did it in Kharkiv. They took over some buildings in Kharkiv too. Not the army officially, but... and there was this moment of like, do we stay or not? You know, as an American, mm -hmm. I had, I, at the time I had two teenage daughters and I was hearing stories of what was happening to girls like that and the other parts, you know, and I had a baby, you know, none of my kids, all my kids were born in Ukraine. None of them had American documents. We couldn't leave the country. And I, you know, was worried. And the Lord spoke to me and gave me a clear word to stay in Kharkov that he's going to keep mm -hmm. us safe. He's going to protect the city. And so in this current situation, watching on the news, I just keep going back to prayer. And so far, the Lord is so far hasn't told me to be worried about it. We're going back in two weeks. Uh, to me, this kind of stuff has been happening constantly for the last seven, eight years. Uh, the threats, I, I have no idea. I mean, we could watch this thing in a month and I could be completely wrong and <laughs> hiding in a shed somewhere uh, in eastern Ukraine. Right. But I personally think that a lot of this is just a political move, not really aimed at Ukraine as much as it's at the rest of the world. I mean, he's a it's a dangerous situation, but at the same time, I don't, I'm not worried about it. Mm -hmm. I believe the Lord's called us to be there, and I think he's he's going to keep Harkov safe. Yeah. And I, I I just I don't personally think that they're going to take over, but. I guess yeah. we'll see. Now the Lord knows. Well, well, as we kind of just close this up a bit, like, so what's the future? So what are some of the things that we as a church, as our, one of, you know, one of your the supporting churches and, um, you know, what are some of the things we can be praying for and, and kind of, you know, looking towards mm -hmm. that, that's going to be the future for you there in Kharkov? And the well, there's a couple of things. Um, in our church recently, we went through, difficult situation where we had to start a new church and we, we have a great church. It's, it's small, but it's growing. We have about 30 people and a lot of them are, are young people. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the oldest man. I'm the oldest person there. I'm 43 mm -hmm. years old. And I'm the old man, you know, but there's a lot of really great, there's college students, there's young professionals, a lot of it professionals and, but we're seeing God do a work and we love having teams of people to come visit, whether it's for a week or two weeks or a weekend or longer just to do stuff, be involved with what we do. We just have lots of opportunities. We love having teams. Um, my wife, uh, about a year and a half ago, started a small uh, kind of a hybrid school where it's 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 half English, half Ukrainian. So half the, half the day the kids study the National Ukrainian Program and half we use a, an English um, um, Christian American-based program called ACE. It's this Accelerated Christian Education. And 
it's growing. I mean, we started with six students a year and a half ago. Now we have 42. Oh, wow. Most That's amazing. Of, yeah. And it's all, it's like mostly from like grades, preschool to like sixth grade. And um, it's a lot of individual teaching, but there are parents that are Christians that are bringing their kids, but there's a lot that aren't. Uh, there, are, there are some that aren't, I think. And it's just, we're always looking for people that are willing to come for a three month period where you don't need a visa or a year commitment to volunteer, be involved with sharing teaching kids about Jesus by using English. And we often with the school, we do like English camps or kind of like VB at vacation Bible schools in the park that's right next to the school. And our school is right pretty much in the center. And like, even this year we had a couple of teams that came and we did week long English camps and it was for anybody in the neighborhood. And because English parents, especially in our city, which is full of it professionals, they see the value of learning English. It's such an opportunity to build relationships with people to, to share the gospel. So we'd love to have people come and help for a week to do things with our school or with um, with the church. We're always looking for people that want to spend three months either working with the church or the school or, or longer. You know, for me, the reason I'm a missionary today was because I went on a mission trip. I didn't even really want care about that country, really. But it was an opportunity for God to speak to my heart. And so I'm a big fan of mission trips if they're done right. So we'd love to have, have you guys come visit. We know we always appreciate the financial support, you know, feeding all these kids isn't cheap, but God, God is faithful. And, you know, I'm the head pastor of this church, uh, but my focus is raising up a lot of young men and women to minister. So we're always looking for people to come and help us help train them. them. Well, that's great. No, and, oh, thanks. Thanks for coming by and just uh, and sharing, sharing. I, I mean, I know, I know for Nick and myself, our it's a great joy every time we come to Ukraine. Yeah. I just feel like that, you know, when I'm there, it, you know, you just kind of see God working in such yeah. a visible, kind of visceral way, and uh, and I just love that and love to hear be a part of the stories and hear the stories of all yeah. the, the new churches that are popping up and the young people. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, thank you so much for coming by yeah. and sharing that with us. And, and we're, as a church, we're going to continue to pray for you. Thank you. And if you, as as the church, are interested in, you know, you want to go out and spend, you're a teacher, you want to go out and spend three months out in Kharkiv, Ukraine, uh, teaching kids, you know, contact us here at the church. And we will get you in contact with uh, with Nate and and his wife, and uh, definitely be praying praying about that. We just feel as a church this year that our vision is just we want to we want to be a, a church that's reaching out not only to our community here, but and beyond. It's part of our vision and mission statement, and. Uh, that's that's going to be you. And so we just want you to be a part of that and just uh, be praying for Nate and Deanna and and uh, and their family uh, this year. And uh, we look forward to hearing some good reports for, for what God's going to do. And, you know, keep this whole thing with Russia. You know, that's a lot of tension and a lot of anxiety yeah. for them to deal with, especially for those people in the town and the Christians there. And so that's something just to be praying about. And, uh, you know, join us again next time. If you've, again, missed any of our sermons or any of or any of the, the mission extras that we've done, you know, you can find them all on YouTube and Facebook and all those fun places. And we look forward to seeing you again. God bless. Mm-hmm.